Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, happy Easter, everybody. How are you today? Everybody good? Yeah. Man, we are so happy to have you here with us today. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors here at LifePoint Church, and and it's so good to see you guys. I got to tell you uh, how grateful I am, uh, sincerely, that you've come to be with us today, whether you're a a guest, and if you're a guest with us, man, welcome, welcome, welcome. If it's been a while since you've been here, or whether you've never been here before, I'm just so happy you're here. Last year around this time, we had just opened this facility. We were so looking forward to having our first uh, gatherings at Easter here. Of course, we weren't able to have them here, and so one year later, to be here with you guys in, at home, uh, all of the homes and all of the families that are represented there, and then all of you here in the room today, and I think there's probably even some folks out in the lobby. We had a huge overflow space out there. We're trying to keep everything spacious and safe for everybody, so we're just kind of moving people around wherever we can, but we're so glad you're here, man. Please, please, please know that we cannot thank you enough for, for being here and I just have to say, this is gathering number five of our Easter season, and uh, our team has worked so hard. And I just want to, could you give them a big hand, a band, everybody? Thank you. It was amazing to have Graylin uh, Griffin, uh, one of my dear friends from a long, long time ago, leading worship with us today. Uh, Graylin, wherever you're at, man, we give it up for you. Give it, give it up for, for all of the team and, and, and for Graylin as well. Uh, I want to take a little bit of a different approach today um, from whatever kind of, I guess, whatever the normal Easter message would be about. I know that there are folks who only come for Christmas and Easter, and if that's you, man, so glad you're here. That's all I got to say. So glad you're here. But I got to know, if I, I got to think if, if I were you, you'd be like, dude, you guys seem to only know two messages here, two sermons. Like, you got this Christmas message and this Easter message. Y'all know anything else? And uh, the answer is yes, yes, we do. And uh, so here's what we know from the Easter story that Jesus was crucified on Friday alongside two criminals, alongside two thieves. But this was just the culmination of a series of, of terrible things that had happened to him. He had been sold out and abandoned by his own followers. He had been put into the hands of Pilate. Uh, he, had, he had been, there was a, there was a ca- kind of a kangaroo court of a trial. There, there was... Uh, terrible accusations that weren't true that were hurled against him, insults that were hurled against him. He was spat upon. His beard was plucked. They placed, placed a, a crown of thorns into his, his head. They, they lashed his back until it was ripped open. Then they asked him to carry his own wooden, heavy wooden cross up the hill to Golgotha's hill. And, and at the end of it, he died on that Good Friday to pay the price for our sins And he paid the price that, as it turns out, we could never pay in a million lifetimes of doing good. He paid our ransom by his death on the cross. He gave his all for us because of God's great love for us. But then the great news is that on the third day, he rose again. And because he died, because he was buried, because he rose again, we have this incredible opportunity to have life with Jesus forever, to know God, to have a relationship with the God who created all of the heavens and the earth. And we can, we can have a new life. And it starts, y'all, it starts by believing in him, by putting our faith 
faith and our trust in Jesus and the work that he accomplished on the cross. And all of the story boils down to this. He rose from the grave. Christ is risen and he is risen indeed, everybody. Amen. Amen. And the gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Aren't you grateful for that today? Aren't you grateful for that today? That's the nutshell version of the Easter story. There's much more. But today, we're going to look at a, a, a different story that has so much to do with this story. Um, we, you heard it just read a few moments ago about how very far our God will come and will go to, to find you and to find me. This is the heart behind the Easter story. This is the reason why the story happened the way it did. It shows the heart of God. I want to start here, though. I, I think everyone occasionally has these moments where you feel maybe dissatisfied with um, your life. I would say that there have been moments in my own life where I was dissatisfied with myself, disappointed in myself, uh, or, or my direction, or my status. I, I think we have all had these moments where we feel a little frustrated, maybe a little down. Uh, we're not finding the same sort of satisfaction that we've always found with the things that have always provided satisfaction for us. I, I, like, I don't know if you've ever had this sensation, because I know that we move our lives so quickly, and, and it's hard for us to slow down and think, but I don't know if you've ever slowed down long enough to think, man, I think something's missing from my life. You, you, ever, you ever put a puzzle together and you worked hard? My family and I tried to do this last Christmas, the, the Christmas before last, and we realized it was a train wreck. Uh, it, we, picked a, we, we didn't realize it said expert level on there, and it was just basically all the same color. And so it was infuriating because nothing ever worked together. But you ever had a puzzle and you're just about done and you realize there's a piece missing, the, like the final piece, and it's like, no way that just happened. And so you're like cutting out paper, right, trying to fill in the picture so you can put it back in there. If you had a bad word in your heart, it would come out, but you didn't because it's Easter. Come on, praise Jesus, somebody, right? <laughs> like life can feel like that sometimes, longings that, have gone unfulfilled, dreams that haven't been realized, and ending up in life in places in our lives that we think, man, how did I get here? How, how, how is this part of my, my story? And, and maybe there's even in this moment, right now, as you ponder your life, and you think, man, come on, come on man, this, this can't be all there is, right? Surely, this isn't all that there is. And, and I think that that feeling of there's got to be more, and this is a universal feeling we all have experienced. I don't care where you're from, what country, we all have this. But those feelings awaken within us longings and desires that lie deep within us, inside of our souls. And it, it's so universal that these longings show up in, in the art that we create, in the stories that we write, in the poems that we put on paper, and, and I think it shows up most notably in 
the songs that we sing. And so I, I'm gonna need some audience participation. Like I know you think it's Easter and it's like we're dressed up or whatever and we can't say anything, but this is the kind of church where we just say amen and you already know we clap for, like we clapped a lot today. Like, like we, had a, we normally clap at like this level, but today we clapped at a how nether level. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like it was here normally, but then it was up here today, we, we clap. So, so a little clap real quick, a little noise participation real quick. All right, all right. So, so I'm gonna sing... I'm gonna sing a song that talks about these longings and I'm gonna sing part of it and you're gonna finish it. I'm 49, so my songs are old. Maybe some of you won't know these songs, but let me start with this one. I can't get no. Yeah, a little Rolling Stones because Jesus rolled the stone away. This is the fifth gathering and these jokes are getting lamer by the moment, right? Right, right, here, here's, a, here's a little newer one. But I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Little U2, everybody, U2 fans in the house. A couple of you, a couple of you. This one's like so old that some of you, are ne you've never heard this song. And if you sing it, it's gonna show your age, but it's good anyways, it's good anyways, ready? It, it's like this, it goes. I was looking for love in all the wrong places. Pretty awesome, that's pretty awesome. It's only because we're in Texas, right? If this was Ohio, they'd be like, what are you talking about, man? What is that kind of music? Country music. Any country music fans in the house today? Yeah. And then this one. Sweet Caroline. Ba, ba, ba. Good times never seem so good. So good, so good, so good. This song doesn't have anything to do with anything. I sang it on Friday and I've just been singing it ever since because it felt, isn't it fun to sing Sweet Caroline at church? Come on, somebody. This guy's going to hell for singing that in church. <laughs> Can't sing that in church. Uh, I think these songs are really an expression other than the last one, that there's something more and I still haven't found it yet. And you know, it's like the longing for love. I think this is universal. Everybody wants to love, everybody wants to be loved. That's right, right? There was this guy, I read about him recently, named Glenn Wolf. He's no longer with us, but he still holds the record for the most marriages in the United States, 29. Come on, somebody. That, that, that's why he's no longer with us, right? <laughs> his longest marriage lasted 11 years. His shortest one, 11, uh, 19 days. And, and here's an interesting detail. He was a Baptist minister. Pretty sure you're not supposed to do that as a Baptist minister, but I'm just throwing that out there. He had, he had 40 children. Right? And, and here's the crazy thing. The sad thing really is none of his wives and none of his children showed up to his funeral. But, but I, find it, I find it curious that, that George, or sorry, that Glenn Wolf didn't stop after his fourth or at least his 24th marriage, right? Why would he keep trying? Why do any of us keep trying after hearts have been broken, after relationships have failed? It's in us. After all, relationships are hard. We get dumped, we get duped, we get hurt. And yet we still keep putting ourselves out there. In spite of the pain, we keep going out there looking for love. Friendships come and go. Somebody stabs us in the back. Somebody breaks our heart, but we'll go out and try to find new friends because there's a longing that's inside of us that we're not supposed to do life alone. We're, we're looking for love, but also we're looking for purpose. I was thinking this week, 
You know, I remember whenever I was a kid, people would say to you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Five or six years old. And so I, you remember this? Like, you're like, oh, I want to be a doctor or a nurse or a lawyer or a teacher or an MMA fighter. I don't know. Whatever it is that you wanted to be when you were a kid. And, and my youngest daughter, this is the truth. My youngest daughter, uh, when she was about, I don't know, seven or eight, she said, dad, I just want to work at Del Taco. Like right over here on Calabria. It used to be over here on Calabria. So powerful was this thing on her life that she was like, I'm going to serve it for the rest of my life, you know? It's true. Seriously, I just wanted to be rich when I was a kid. And then I got into ministry, so that dream was dashed forever and ever, right? But think about this. Why in the world at six or seven were you even dreaming about any kind of job, right? You didn't need a job at six or seven, did you? You didn't have any bills yet to pay at, at, at that age. You were just barely start, still learning the alphabet and how to write your name. Why would you even think about what you wanted to be when you grew up? Well, I think it's because you already had a desire inside of you for purpose. You wanted to accomplish something. It was put in there by someone for, for you to want to be something, to be someone. Something in you, even at that age, made you realize, God's got something for my life. We long for love. We long for purpose. And this is universal. We all long for meaning, answers to the big why questions. I think if you've lived very long at all, you know that we all experience pain in our lives to the extent that we say, why? Why, God, if you're so good, why did you allow this to happen? If you're so good, why, why didn't you answer that prayer that I prayed? And then, what is the point of life? And why am I here? And what on earth am I supposed to be doing? And why do I feel lonely in spite of my best efforts to not be? And why so much pain and chaos in our world? Here's, here's the truth about all of the longings, all of the universal feelings that we have, is that God gave those to, to you. God, God, I think, feels the same way about some of these things. You want to see wrongs righted. You want to see sufferings come to an end. You want to you erase injustice in our world. God put that in you. Right? You want to make a difference. Somebody put that in you. You want answers. Somebody wired you up that way. So the longing for love, the longing for purpose, the longing for answers to the big why questions, we all have them. We are hardwired with them for the longing for love and purpose and meaning. God put all of that in us on purpose. He, he's created us with an internal and, and, and an eternal search engine that keeps us looking out, pressing out for, for something, for God. It's, it's, he put it in us to, to, to have us point back to him. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he set eternity in the hearts of men. Like this, this internal mechanism that says there's gotta be something else. So please understand this. The problem isn't that we have these longings or these desires. The problem is that we seek to fulfill them on our own and in our own way. The problem is we try to satisfy these longings and answer these questions apart from God, away from the Father. But here's the good news today, I think. This is my opinion. I think that just the fact that we have these questions, these longings for more and purpose and love marks really the beginning for some of us of our journey back to God. I think that the longings and the questions are actually just key indicators that God might be at work in our lives. So I would say pay attention to that. I want to look at this sort of famous story that Jesus tells in the account that Luke, the physician, wrote about Jesus' life. Jesus in what may be the most unforgettable of his stories that he told, tells a story about a father and a broken home and a son 
who runs away and the boy utterly rejects his home, rejects his father, turns his back on, it, on the place of his birth and we go, how, why? What was so bad that he would have to, to run away? How can a son do something like that? Well, the answer is that we're all born knowing how to sin. Come on, parents, you know this. You don't have to teach your kids how to sin. You don't have to say, come over here. I want to teach you how to bite this kid over here. They're just going to bite them all on their own. Am I right, somebody? You don't have to tell them how to say no or mine. They just do that naturally. You don't have to teach them how to throw a fit at HEB or Target or wherever your store is. They'll just do that on your own to the extent that you're like, seriously, I don't abuse the kid. He's just freaking out right now. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about? Years ago, my youngest, I took her, she was about three, two and a half, three years old, took her to Target down here on Culebra, and uh, we were running fast, we had to get something and go, it was just she and I, and I had her in the cart, you know, with her legs dangling out, and I was pushing around, and she kept going, Dad, let me out, Dad, I was like, no, no, we don't have time for that, Dad, I want to look at that, no, 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 we don't have time for that, Dad, 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 and I was like, no, we don't have time for that, and she stops, and she goes, help, he's not my dad, help, he's not my dad do what now? Stop that. I am his dad. I am her dad. She looks just like me. Come on, look. Cops coming or whatever. You know, I'm like, got to leave now. Thanks. I didn't teach my kid how to do that. She just knew how to sin already against her father and throw me under the bus at Target because she wasn't getting what she wanted. So Jesus tells this story, which is considered one of the greatest short stories in all of literature by even secular philosophers it's the story of a son who has these longings that you and I have. It's gotta be more. Love, purpose, passions, meaning, answers. It's gotta be more. I can't get no satisfaction, he says, in, in his own way. But in the context of a first century Middle Eastern culture, now realize Jesus makes, he constructs these stories, these three stories in Luke 15. And this third story that he, con- he constructs, he's, he's doing it for the audience that's present there. This is a Jewish audience. This is the first century. They're under Roman occupation at the time. So he makes this story up in such a way that they will know things that you and I won't connect with because we don't know the culture the way they did because they were living in it. So a son asking for his inheritance before his father passes would be one of the worst insults a father could receive. A son in Jesus's day was not only supposed to wait until his father passed, but he's also supposed to take care of him into his old age. And so this son asking for his inheritance early is like saying, look, dad, like, I don't, I don't care whether you live or whether you die. I just know there's something else out there. It's not here, and I'm going to go out and find it. I want it now. And this was a huge offense. And so the, the listeners would have been like, no, no father would ever have done this. But in Jesus' story, this father does. He honors. He acquiesces to the, the request of the son but before we disparage the son and, and cast him aside as, as ungrateful or, or selfish, is it possible that this son is just saying what we all feel? Like, surely there's more to life than what I have and what I know. See, see the son in Jesus' story was like so many of us. He was convinced that he had to leave his own father He had to go away from his own father to find the answers and fulfill his longings. And so Jesus goes on and says, not many days after that, the son gathered all he had. Now, this is important to know. This is one of the details in the story that you can miss. 
The father doesn't go, okay, let me go to the safe and grab a couple of bags of gold, and there you go, son. That's kind of how I've always imagined in my mind, but this is an agricultural society. This is farm. He's a a landowner. There's some land over here. They live in a village. The village is is mostly families and uncles and aunts and cousins, so maybe the great-great-grandfather started a house here, and then somebody built right next to it, attached to it, and then somebody built around, and then uncles and cousins and aunts and great-grandsons, and they would build it. It was called an insula. And there would be a central courtyard at the time. So when Jesus says not many days after that, he's wanting us to know some details. First of all, it takes some time for the father to, to do this. Second of all, that the, the community there, the community at large there would have known what was going on. They would have been astonished. This is unprecedented. Nobody does what the son does. And they cannot believe he's doing it. So the son shakes the dust off that little town of his feet. He can't get it out of there fast enough. And he, he never looks back. Jesus says he goes to a, a far country, a distant country. So that everything that looks good, that, that, that looks shiny and bright and self-indulgent and pleasurable and, and satisfying is his. Until the money runs out, as it always does at death or sometimes before And then a famine hits, and it's not just any famine. Jesus says it's a great famine. And now he has no money, and he has no food, and he has no home. And and so Jesus continues. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. Now Jesus puts this detail in here because for a Jewish mind, this is the absolute lowest of the low. They don't do pigs. They don't eat pigs. Come on, aren't you grateful that there's bacon for us today in Jesus' name? This is a good thing that, anyways... He, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So, so realize with him, us, he has these same longings that we all have, that it is universal. Jesus makes these, these longings evident in here, that his longing for love wasn't satisfied in probably the many women that he'd experienced while he was wealthy. His longing for purpose wasn't found in, in the good life, in the party life, and spending all the money. His, his long journey to a far country to, to get the answers to the why questions weren't answered and were actually left in, just left him with more questions. Why, why didn't this turn out the way I thought it was? How, how did I end up, come on, how did I end up here? This is the worst possible scenario. What's gonna become of my life? We, we know from the story that the son comes to his senses. He wakes up. He has this epiphany. Some scholars say he got smart. That's what the, this means here. And he realizes that where he's at and where he wants to be are very different places. There's a huge gap. And he recognized that the smart thing now is to turn around and go back home. And, and what the son did by going back home is what we often call repentance. Um, you probably have heard of this word before. Now, honestly, repentance gets a bad rap because the church has done a pretty good job, or sorry, a pretty bad job of explaining what it means. I know that I have in t- over time past. We, we only hear the word repent uh, in connection to our eternal destiny. So like if you don't do it, you know, it's the burning ring of fire, you know, Johnny Cash or whatever. Re- repentance has been, I must sing all the songs today, not really. Repentance has been used to scare uh, people for hundreds of years. But today I'd like to set the story straight on what it means. In the New Testament, which is mostly in Greek, it's metanoia, which means to change one's mind or to rethink something. You with me so far? Now, in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, it's teshuva, which means to return. So track with me. Jesus is telling us that the son changed his mind, and then what did he do next? He returns to his father. This 
is repentance. You with me so far? So when Jesus is telling us this story, he's saying this, the son has this moment of epiphany. He comes to his senses. He changes his mind and he returns to his father. But here's, here's the question that I've always had. Why did he wait until the bottom dropped out until he's literally hanging around with pigs wishing he could eat what they have, but it says he wasn't able to eat what they had. He wasn't even allowed to have that. Why not go back home like any decent child would? The moment there's no money, going back to dad. Come on, come on, young people in the house today. Like, like if money's not the key indicator of he should have gone home, then why wait till he's got nothing to eat because this boy is going home to mama's house to San Antonio for some carne guisada and big red as soon as I can. If you were raised in San Antonio, you know what I'm saying right now. Maybe it's barbacoa for you, but for me, it's carne guisada. Plus, I like to say it because I say it pretty good for a white guy. Come on. <laughs> got to give me some love on that. It was like, not really. Not really, for a white guy, all right? Like, well, it's interesting. There is an actual answer to why he waits this long. See, he's at the brink of starvation because he knows what's waiting for him if he goes back to his father. When a Jewish boy squanders his inheritance amongst the Gentiles, which are just anybody who's not a Jew, if he dared to try to return home, the entire community, remember, it's a small community, it's a a mostly family, tight-knit community, they would gather upon his return. And as a symbol of how destructive his decision was, his behavior had been, how, how he had broken his relationship with this community, broken his family, broken his own father. This, this is a very visual culture, very, very, very dramatic gesture here. And so the, the community, when he comes home, they gather out in front of him and they would take a clay pot and they would break it as a symbol of what he had done to his family. This is a symbol saying, this is the brokenness that you've caused our community. You, you have broken what is good. You have broken the, the, the cultural values that we have. You, you have broken trust. You have broken community. And worst of all, you have broken the heart of your own father who loved you so much. And your damage is beyond repair, so this is gonna be the symbol of your brokenness now. You are no longer whole. You are no longer welcome. You are no longer family. You are cut off. This is why he says, I'm gonna go back home. And I'm gonna say, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be son. You know why he says that? Because son is not on the table anymore. It's gone. It's broken because of what he's done. And, and, and instead, he says, just make me as one of the lowest of the least, the, the least of the least, the, the, the servant at the bottom. And in fact, they would call the ceremony the kazaza. In Hebrew, this means the cutting off. Some of us have felt that kind of brokenness over this last year, that kind of separation from people we love, from family. We've lost things, and we've felt this, and we can relate to this boy here. So the boy knows what's waiting for him if he tries to come home. That's why he stays away even when there's so much pain and loss, even when there's a famine, not just a famine, but a great famine. And finally he says to himself, even even what's waiting for me back at home is better than dying. So he got smart. He came to his senses. And, he, and, and, and so he's gonna return to, to dad's house and he, he, he makes up this little speech. He's got a long way back home. It's a distant country, it's far. And so he's rehearsing it in, in his mind. This is what I'm gonna say. I will say, you, you've read the text, you heard, you heard Kevin read that text. He says, he sees the village as, as it starts to come in his sight. He, he braces himself. He, he knows what's coming, but there, there is 
one thing he had not counted on. At the gate in his home, a long way off stands a heartbroken man. And he is looking out over the horizon as he has been every day since the boy left, hoping against hope. Jesus says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and had compassion for him. And then this detail, he ran to his son. Now, now listen, this is huge to that first century gathering of listeners there because particularly for those of them who would identify with the son, that this is their story that, it, that is being told because it paints a vivid picture. Jesus is giving them this incredible picture of, of the character, the nature, the heart of God. The, the father ran. See, See, strong and in control men, wealthy men do not run. This was not done in this culture. This was shameful. This was a, a humiliation, in fact. A, a little boy might do that. A, a slave on the bottom run, rung might be sent to run an errand or run and leave a message somewhere. But no, no wealthy father would ever run because this is a, a culture that wore robes to the ground. And so he would have to pick up that robe and expose his bare legs. And this was not done. But this father runs and this is by the way the only picture that we get in all of the Bible about a God who would run this is how important a thing coming home is why does he run see he can't stop thinking about his broken boy he knows that if the village gets to my boy first he thinks this will mean kazaza it will mean brokenness, it will mean shame, it will mean humiliation, it will mean a permanent cutting off of sonship and that might do him in and that might crush his heart, that might crush his spirit, I might, I might lose him forever and I can't let that happen, I have to get to him before anyone else does, I have to be the first one to my boy, I have to reclaim this boy as my son before anyone is allowed to banish him forever. And so the father picks up his robes and he starts running. The father, filled with compassion, takes on the humiliation that should have been by all rights upon the prodigal boy. The son deserves the humiliation and the shame, but the father lifts up his robe and takes it upon himself and he lets it fall on him. All of the bad that should have befallen the son, he takes it on himself. He takes on the shame. The father takes on the pain and the brokenness so that the son won't have to. And this is the picture that Jesus wants them to see. And later on, Paul would write in Philippians 2 that he emptied himself of all of his, of his rights and privileges and he took upon himself the shame. And this is the way Paul says it, even the death of a cross, exclamation point. All of the shame, Jesus stripped down naked in front of the masses. Takes the shame and the pain and the humiliation of it all upon himself. And here's the son. I don't know what he expected, but he doesn't expect this. Messed up, sinful, covered in the filth of his own bad choices, expecting judgment, expecting just to be hoping against hope, just to be considered the least of the least, just a servant. But instead he finds a father with arms open. No fingers pointed. 
No stern looks, no shakes of the head, no broken pottery. The Father just spills grace all over him. Just, just tears of joy. His broken home is being put back together. And he receives his son just as he is. Wow. But he doesn't stop there. See, he says to his servant, bring, bring go into my, my closet or whatever they had. Bring, bring out my very finest robe. Put it on my son. And, and, and you know, get, get, get the best ring that I have, the signet ring that I'll put on him to restore sonship so that no kazaza can ever happen to him. I'm going to restore sonship. Bring the best robes. And, and hey, you, you, go over there and get that. Remember that calf that I set aside that we've been, we've been doing like Wagyu style with this calf? You know what I'm saying? We've been feeding him like, like the Japanese do. Bring that one out here because we're going to have the biggest party that this, this family has ever seen because my son was lost and, and now he is found. There will be no kazaza. Brokenness does not get the final word. This is my son. This is my son. You see, this isn't really the parable of the prodigal son. Not really. This is the parable of the father who runs. So desperate is he to restore his lost son it's about a father who will go to any length to find and restore his lost sons and daughters. So as it turns out, Jesus lets us know in this story, it's, it's actually not even really about us trying to find home. Home, as it turns out, is out trying to find us. To the extent that God is filled with compassion for you so that whatever distant country you or I would ever find ourselves in, however far away you think you are from God, when you, when you stop, listen, when you stop and you rethink and you turn, in the moment of your turning, he picks up his robe and he starts sprinting to where you are. See, see this is what God was doing in Jesus. Jesus is God running to his rebellious child, to me and to you. This is what Easter is all about, actually. This is why any of this took place at all. It's about a God who came running to this earth to live among us, to do life with us, then to die the most humiliating and shameful death, the death of the cross, to suffer the humiliation and the shame and the pain of the cross because of his lost son's and daughters and the reason Jesus told this story is to teach us that anyone and everyone no matter who you are no matter how bad it seems is welcome back home so, so this brings us to one of life's most important questions I think it's a question that you have to ask and answer Throughout your life, you have this longing for love and purpose and meaning. We all do. Everyone does. This boy did too. And so you have to ask yourself this question. Where will you go 
to satisfy those God-given desires, those longings? And then who or what can? And then will, will, that, will that effort draw you closer to God? Or will it draw you away from God? And then finally, what will you do with your hurts and your habits and your hang-ups and your regrets? I think that's a big question. And maybe you'd say, okay, Danny, look, I, I get what you're doing, bro. I, I get it. It's Easter. You, you got to say stuff like this and you got to try to talk to us. But listen, man, I, I appreciate you. But I got a lot of questions about God that I can't answer. Like if, if God's so good, then why this or, or why that? And why does it say this or why does it say that? Like I get that. Honestly, I really do. You, you have some doubts and so have a lot of us. Come on, so have a lot of us. So have I. Even as a pastor, so have I. So, so, so here's the thing about faith, and that's what we're talking about. Faith is really kind of a gamble. It's, got, it's a little bit risky, but let, let me explain the risk to you. The, it's the gamble where you have everything to gain if, if God is real and nothing to lose if he's not. However, if you find God, if you come to know this God, I think you find a source of unconditional love that your heart and soul is always longed for that you cannot find in any other relationship. I, I think you find the purpose for your life. I think God shows you the purpose because he has, the Bible says, a divine de design for all of us. And I think he deals, helps us deal with our yesterdays, our baggage, our pain, our hurts to the extent that he sets us not only free from them, but he uses those very same, he uses our story to impact the lives of other people who are going through the same things we've been through. That's in the word of God, by the way. That's in the word of God. So here's the risk I would ask you to take. Just pray. And if you've never prayed before, I just wrote it in here on the screen for you. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. I, I think that's a fair ask of God. God, if, if you're real, this guy's saying you are, that you love me this much, make yourself real to me. Like in a way that I can understand. And then awaken in me the possibility that with you, I could start over again. Like, I wonder if we could just do this together. Could we do this together? You could look on the screens or if you can see this screen. Could you say it with me? God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Awaken in me the possibility that with you, I could start over again. Like, just for the next few days. It's a gamble, it's a risk. But it's not that big of a risk. And you may have everything to gain and really nothing to lose. So, I, I want to close today by giving you a retelling of the story that was told in a book by Philip Yancey. He's, if you don't know Philip Yancey and, and you have questions about faith or you doubt all of this, any of this, just go look him up, Google him, go to Amazon, buy his books. I, I promise you, one of the most intelligent men at answering the hard questions about faith. And I just want you to hear in this little story that he wrote um, an invitation from God himself saying, come home. It goes like this. Her name was Krista, and she grew up on a small cherry farm in Traverse City, Michigan. She was a wild child who dismissed her parents as old-fashioned because of how they responded to her choices and her piercings, her tattoos. And one night, Krista and her parents had a huge fight. At the end of it, she slammed the door, and she said, I, I hate you. And then she acted on a plan she'd been rehearsing for months in her mind. She ran away that night to the big city of Detroit. She had no place to go. And within a few hours of arriving in Detroit, she met a man who seemed warm and nice. And he drove the most expensive car she had ever seen, and he was willing to take her in. This nice man taught her a few things that would make her valuable on the streets. And because Krista was so young, 
She brought in top dollar for her services. But as time went on, as the weeks and the months and the years passed, she got older. She wasn't bringing in top dollar anymore. And so she was thrown out on the street with no money and a drug habit to support. And the blood will dry underneath my nails. And the wind will rise up to fill my sails. So you can doubt and you can hate. But I know no matter what it takes, I'm coming home, I'm coming home. Tell the world I'm coming home. Let the rain wash away all the pain of yesterday. I know my kingdom awaits and they forgive it. One night she thought back to those sunny spring days and she would be lying beneath the cherry trees and so she started realizing that renting her body on the streets of Detroit was no way to live. She, she decided she'd head north, maybe to Canada, just to start life over again on her way north. She figured she'd try something that she thought had no chance of actually working. She mustered up enough courage to give her parents a call. Nobody answered. But she left a message telling them that she was gonna be passing through Traverse City on her way back to Canada, or her way to Canada. If they wanted to see her, she'd be at the bus station around midnight. After hanging up, she thought leaving the message was a silly thing to do because odds were they were much happier now that she was gone. So as the bus headed north, she could see the sign saying the bus was getting closer to Traverse City, and so she began to run possible scenarios through her mind. Nobody there to meet her, somebody there but only to shame her and condemn her. Finally, the bus arrived in Traverse City. And she heard the bus driver say, 15 minutes, 15 minutes at this stop. Still far away from where I belong, but it's always darkest before the dawn. So you can doubt and you can hate. All of her mental rehearsing didn't prepare her for what she found when she stepped off that bus at midnight in this small town bus depot. She walked out and found dozens of familiar faces belonging to aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents all wearing silly party hats. A huge banner hanging from the wall said, welcome home, Krista. Her dad broke through the crowd and ran up to her, and as she tried to explain herself, he just simply wrapped her up in his arms. All he really cared about was that his daughter was finally home. I'm coming home, I'm coming. 
So I, I guess the, the last question is, if you're far away or if you feel far away, will, will you just come home? You know, Martin Luther King Jr. said, you take the first step in faith and you don't have to see the whole staircase. He said, just take the first step. A good way to start is the way this boy starts in Jesus' story, just to say, Father, I've sinned against you and I'm tired of carrying around my own shame. I'm tired of pretending like everything is fine. Will you wash me? Heal my brokenness. Make me your son and daughter. And Jesus is clear. That's how you come home. And when you do, you find a father waiting. Jesus, in telling the story, is letting us know, if you want to know how much the father loves you, look at the face of Jesus. Look at his cross. Because out of his love... He became broken for our sake. His body was broken on the cross. And in some way that I can never even fathom, he cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what's happening in this moment? He is taking kazaza. He is being cut off for you, for me so that we don't have to be cut off. All of this so that you can come home. Would you, would you mind praying with me, just if you want to bow your heads. They're, they're at home. Pray with me as well. Father, thank you so very much for what this day represents. Friday, we remembered you, the, the crucifixion. Saturday, heaven was silent. There was a gap. But on Sunday, you rose again, and you rose again by the power of the Holy Spirit, that same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, can live in us through faith in Jesus. You got up. You got up so that we can get up. Doesn't matter what our stories are, doesn't matter where we're at, doesn't matter what we've been through, we have this opportunity through faith to know you. And so I would just invite you, anybody who would wanna pray, you can pray it in your own way. You, you can use my words, you can use your own, but you just say, Father, I wanna come home. I believe, Lord, I believe what he said today, that you, you, you suffered all of that for me believe that. I, I want to confess you, Lord, today at, as Lord. Would you be the forgiver of my sins? Would you, by your spirit, come and, and make me new and, and, and make your home in me? Would you heal my brokenness and, and the shame and the pain and the disappointment and the frustrations and the anger and the, and, and, and the issues that I have with depression or, 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 or anxiousness or whatever it is? God, I give it all to you. I want to come home. And in the moment that you do that, you get a fresh start. You get a brand new, you become a brand new creation. So, so before we finish, nobody's looking, just a moment. Would you, if, you, if you did that with us today, if you made it your own, would you just raise your hand real quick? Would you raise your hand? Those of you at home as well, thank you, thank you. Several hands in here. 
hey, look at me just one more time. You know what Jesus says at the end of the stories? He, said, he talks about a celebration that when anybody does what some of the folks here and some of the folks at home have done, he said that all of heaven, the angels, they, they all rejoice over one person who comes back home, over one sinner who repents, he says. And so I wonder if all of us could celebrate along with all the angels and all the people. Come on, everybody. Come on. Man, so awesome. So awesome. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.